Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 7, beginning of verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Mo Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You may be seated. We have been considering now the gospel according to John for a few months. And uh, clearly, again, as we have begun with it each week, we're considering the fact that John is seeking to present Jesus as the Son of God who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And as John does this presentation, he is actually presenting how Jesus is revealing this to to the, to the Jews who are about him. And so over the past six weeks or so, we have seen Jesus declare or demonstrate that he is the Son of God through these activities. He has healed the official son 
from a distance. That should be enough to get somebody's attention, yes. Revealing his authority over illnesses. He healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day, revealing his authority over not only infirmities, but also over the Sabbath. And it's for that which we're going to talk about this morning, it comes back up, why they're seeking to kill him. He declared his authority then, uh, David taught on this part of it, he declared his authority over death, judgment, resurrection, and the distribution of eternal life. He said basically that the Father had given him the authority to be able to give um, life to whoever he chose to give it to. He then fed 5,000 plus people, right, with just five loaves of bread and two fish, revealing his power over material substances. He then walked on water in a storm, revealing his power over nature. And then he transported the disciples in their boat to the other side of the lake, now, I'll be honest, I, I, I passed by that so much, but some of you have talked about that, that I thought, you know, that's really a big deal. See, I mean, this is something that was a huge deal, that at that moment, all of a sudden, boom, they were there. So he transported the disciples in their boat to the other side of the lake, revealing his power over time and matter. And then he declared that he was the bread of life, and that he was greater than manna, which was a big deal to the, the people, because Moses, in the provision of manna, was a huge deal to them in that he then was God's provision for salvation. Now, if you were, I want you to, to just think about these things, but not from here in 2021, sitting in a church and you've heard this all your life, but I want you to, to place yourself in that, in that time. You're one of the disciples. You're one of the multitude. You're one of the people in Capernaum. You're one of the people just, just kind of there. And, and ask yourself, what would you be thinking at this moment? I'd be having a headache. I don't know about you, because it's not computing. Because what we've seen that these people are saying, and we're going to see again today, is that don't we know who this guy is? Isn't he the son of the carpenter? Didn't he grow up in Nazareth? Don't we know his brothers? His mother, isn't she here with us? Who is this guy? How do I make heads and tails, if you would? How do I square up all this with the scriptures? This doesn't make sense. It's not lining up with what I thought I understood or what I was taught all my life that Messiah should be and what he would look like. How can I make sense of all this? And I... Don't know. I mentioned last week, and, and we're going to kind of look at it again this week, and that is, what do you do with stuff when it doesn't make sense? How do you handle Scripture when it doesn't make sense? And again, I mentioned toward the end of last week, and I want to kind of pick it up from there, and that is, again, my crisis of faith when it came to Genesis chapter 1. You're going to have crises of faith that are in your life. Those crises of faith generally are revealed in the midst of a confrontation confrontation that you're having. It may not be a physical one. It may not be me and Brian, we're we're having this confrontation. But it may be that Brian's bringing a truth to me that I never thought about before. And i got to figure out what. How do I deal with this? In a sense, the kid at my door last night had a confrontation. That he wasn't waiting, that he wasn't expecting, right? He might have been expecting maybe someone to slam the door on him. Somebody to say, "Hey, get out of here! I don't take, you know, I don't want sales guys at my door." 
But he wasn't probably expecting someone to come out and confront him with the fact that he is an eternal spirit and that he's going to go someplace when he dies, that he's not going to go into the dirt and just cease to being, and that there really is a God in the universe who created all things. And I'm praying that he has a confrontation all day today, just in his spirit, that he can't get away from it, that, that he's going to be like Paul. It's hard for him to kick against the goads, the pricks, that, that the Holy Spirit's going to continue to convict him of righteousness, judgment, and sin all day. And, and the words of this goofy guy at the door are going to continue to, to nag at him. I had him do this. Did you guys ever do this together? Just go ahead and do this. You all do it. Come on, you can do it. It's mind control. I made you all do this. Don't do that. It's cultic. No, anyways, okay. So, anyways, do you know what all goes into this? This is a total aside. Do you realize, I mean, what are, this is a phenomenal little witnessing tool. Do you know what all goes into this? I mean, your neurological system, your brain is functioning. It's telling this, that, and you've got, you got um, muscles that are moving. You've got bones that are going together. You've got your heart that's pumping, and, and, and you've got the pulmonary system that's breathing. And all this stuff is all going together, and just for you to do this with your finger. Think of the statistical improbability of this just happening. I mean, what if you were designed and all of a sudden you didn't have a, a little, you know, tendon here? You know, it was just kind of, you know, just, it, would, it wouldn't work. What if you got a heart and it's beating, but you don't have any, you don't have a lung that's breathing? Oh, well, there goes the experiment. Anyways, I just, I just pray that as I talk to all these things to this kid, you know, that he's being nagged with these things. Because he's being confronted right now with the truth. And it's not lining up with everything he was taught. Do you get it? I don't know about you, but I grew up being taught evolution. And so reading Genesis 1 was a confrontation for me. You can't line it up. You cannot line up Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 with evolution. Cannot. Theistic evolutionists still have death before sin. You can't do that. The wages of sin is... What? Is that truth or not truth? You can't have both. Both can't be. And so you come to this confrontation where you've got to decide which one is truth. Is Jesus... This is kind of funny. This is, I didn't think about this, but after the fact, I went inside and I was eating and I looked down and I had my Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life shirt on. <laughs> the guy should have expected something. Anyways... <laughs> But is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the only way to the Father? Or are there multiple ways? Can you get there through your works? Can you get there through Buddha? Can you get there through Confucius? Can you get there through Muhammad? Can you get there through all these different things that the world wants to tell you? There's only one truth. One way, that's true. But there's only one truth is where I'm going. And God's word is absolute truth and as you come to that word you will undoubtedly be confronted many times i believe jesus died on a thursday now i know some of you might believe he died on a wednesday you're wrong some of you might believe jesus died on a friday you're really wrong anyways but that was another confrontation for bob now i'm joking with you're wrong and you can believe what you want to believe but for bob that was huge 
I had my Holy Communion on a Thursday night. Friday was always Good Friday. This is a big deal for Bob when he's walking away from what he grew up in. From God's word, it was clear to me that he died on Thursday and that he was in the ground three days and three nights. What do I do with it? How do you walk away? I was even taught that in seminary. It was a Baptistic seminary. I listened to them do their, their, their gymnastics of how they get three days into Friday to Sunday. And I'm thinking, I don't get it. I don't see it. God's word is clear. And then I read the feasts. And I studied the feasts. And I realized that him dying on a Thursday was a fulfillment of the feasts. How do you deal with confrontations that come against everything that you thought you believed? It makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? It makes you mad. I don't know about you, but sometimes those confrontations make me mad. And that's what we're going to see with his brothers. Because the first confrontation we're going to realize is that Jesus had is with his brothers in, in Galilee. Because his he hung out in Galilee for a while, right? Didn't want to go to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. But we're told that after these things... Now, what's the, the things, these things, the after these things? What are the after these things? It was the, not just the teaching in John 6, but it was that last two slides ago. All those things. He healed. He did this. And ding, da, ding, da, ding, 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 ding. After these things, after he had been... Living it out after he has demonstrated it, after he has declared it clearly. Now came the Feast of Tabernacles. Joe, when's the Feast of Tabernacles? When is Sachath? Oh, man. Yeah, it's fall. Okay, September, October. Good. And so, so you got you got Yom Turah, the Feast of, of Trumpets, which is commonly today referred to as Rosh Hashanah, okay? And then you've got, on the 10th day of that month, Yom Kippur, which is the, the, the um, Day of Atonement. And then you've got, I think, beginning on the 15th day, I might be wrong, but I believe beginning on the 15th day, is the Feast of Tabernacles. So this kind of gives us a little bit of a time thing or where we're at right this is the fall okay now what do we know else do we know about the feast of tabernacles this is going to come into more into play next week when we when we do the rest of chapter seven but what else do we know about the feast of tabernacles it was one of three i'll give you a hint it was one of three does that help anybody ah good job mark it was one of three temples where all the adult males were required to go to Jerusalem. So they had Passover, they had what we refer to as Pentecost, which was the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot in Hebrew, and then they had Sochoth, or the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, that they all had to go. Okay, Each one of them were a seven-day feast where they would go and they would spend that time. So think about work at that time, asking work off, you know. I got three, three weeks of vacation a year. Well, guess where they're all spent? In Jerusalem, right? And so, um, so this is one of the, the three, and the only one in the fall, 
that they all were required to go to Jerusalem. So, Jesus' brothers, settings, context, right? They assume that Jesus is going to what? He's going to go, right? So this leads into this fact of their contempt now. Their verbalization, if you would, of their contempt, which we see it displayed in this arrogance. I don't know how else to explain this other than then what I see is, is arrogance. Arrogance is an offensive display of superiority or self-importance, an overbearing pride or haughtiness. And so they bring this to Jesus in, it, in this great display of contempt. And the contempt is the state of being despised or dishonored. Okay. Now this goes into a little bit, of, again, what we talked about last week. And that is, what did Mary and Joseph present regarding Jesus while Jesus was growing up. Now, we don't have anything specific, but I want to lay out a conjecture to you. This is Bob's conjecture. Okay, there's no thus saith the Lord here. But I think that after Herod tried to kill Jesus um, in Bethlehem, and then they went back, and they went back to Nazareth, I think they kept it QT on the quiet side about who Jesus really was. That Mary was mom, Joseph was dad. And I don't think that Jesus' siblings even knew who Jesus really was. Until the grand opening. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of myself now, right? I got three other siblings. I got my brother, who is my older brother. And Steve, you know Jim. Jim's about a year, and, he's a year and a half older than me, right? We look sort of the same, don't we? But we have the same mom. I think we have the same dad. Now think about that. I'm, you, you laugh because instantly you're thinking, oh, did my mom cheat on? You know, no. But if I was James, let's say James is the oldest of the siblings, right? And let's say James is about 18 months younger than Jesus, because Mary began to have other kids, right? So Joseph and Mary started having other kids. So we've got James, the book of James, written by the stepbrother of Jesus, half-brother, whichever way I always mess those things up, and Jude, who also is the half-brother, right? And so let's say James is then the first one who was born of Mary that really was from Joseph. And let's say he's only about 18 months younger than Jesus. How old was Jesus when he began his ministry 30 how old would james be about let's say this is all conjecture but 28 ish 28 ish you just spent 28 years hanging out with this guy wondering why he keeps beating you in every game you play no anyways <laughs> never got in trouble we don't know that we conjecture that yeah because he but we're told from luke that he, he lived in submission to his mother and father from that point right and so so you, you've seen this dork all, all your life, and, and I say that jokingly, okay? But think about it, Jesus is just a kid. He's just a guy. He's just grown up, and he's, 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 he's kind of playing dad's favorite here in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the business, you know, and he's kind of the, doing the carpentry kind of stuff. He's got, I mean, when you find out later, he's really got the end. I mean, he is the grand master of all um, carpentry and everything else, you know? I mean, I mean, this is like, like not, not right. Here it was, 
every time I make something, it never competes to what he makes. I mean, it's just it's awful. But then I find out, oh, he's really God. And he's the creator of everything. This isn't right. Anyways, but you grew up with this kid. And now all of a sudden, he's claiming to be God. The fullness of God on earth. What do you do with that? Do, do you get it? I can't imagine my older brother claiming that, and he's a little bit older now, he's in his 60s, so he's not going to claim this. But I can't imagine when Jim turned 30 claiming that he was God. And then going out and doing things. Hmm. It's one thing to declare things. It's another thing to turn water into wine. It's another thing to heal an official's son by just the power of your word from a distance. It's another thing to feed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's another thing to go walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Do you get it? What are you going to do with it? Because it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. So they display this thing with this contemptuous arrogance saying, well, okay, Jesus, so you want to be known by everybody? Are you going to just go to Jerusalem? Why don't you go to Jerusalem? Do you think that these guys know that the Jews want to kill him? Yeah, these are his brothers. Have you ever been mocked by your family for what you believe? This is being recorded, so I know my family can hear this at some point, but they would concur with this. My brother disowned me for eight years. When we got saved. And we wrote them evangelistic letters to my family. And my brother got mad at me. And he disowned me for eight years. He'd become Catholic. Because his wife was Catholic and they got married in the Catholic Church. And so he converted to Catholicism. And I had the audacity to say that Mary couldn't save him. But now my brother leads mission trips all around the world. And my sister-in-law goes back to that letter as the beginning of the, the, the pickaxe breaking up the ground. It's not fun when your family walks away from you. But if it's based on truth, it has rewards. And Jesus' brothers are mocking him. They're holding him in contempt. They're making fun of him. Even after he'd done all these things. And you wonder, how could this play out this way? But the father was letting it. And Jesus was loving him even through it. But what was the basis then of it? It was their unbelief. Which I think came from jealousy. I think... We're told that these guys, we're going to see in a moment, that these guys didn't believe. But I think they're jealous of him. Think about it. My brother was a letterman. I think he was a co-captain of the football team. I know he was a captain of the tennis team. And he was a salutatorian. He missed being the valedictorian by like a hundredth of a point. And he got accepted to the Air Force Academy. He got the sen- senatorial, da-da-da-da. My brother walked on water. You get what I'm saying, okay? You military guys, you get it, okay? 
and I lived in his shadows. Do you know what that's like? Some of you do. Do you know how easy it is to become then, rather than rejoicing with the success of somebody else, to become embittered by their success? That's what's happening with his brothers. Think about it. Jesus is now being put on display. By who? By who? Say again. Not everyone. Who was putting Jesus on display? The Father. The Father. Well, not just himself. He's only doing what he sees the Father do. And what the Father calls for him to do, he does. The Father is placing him on display. But if you don't have the same Father, and you're not rejoicing in what the Father's doing, then it's easy to become jealous of the success. Listen, I, I'm telling you, this, it's a struggle sometimes when I see churches grow and they're not teaching truth. Okay? And I've got to deal with that kind of stuff. But you know what? My father has the right to do whatever he chooses to do with his body. Does that make sense? And so you've got to be able to grapple it. But we're told specifically then, these guys, they did this stuff because they didn't what? Believe. So think about that. When my family disowned me, why did they disown me? Because they didn't believe. Jesus hung on the cross. And he said, Father, what? Forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. Don't be mad. When people start mocking you, holding you in contempt, showing their arrogant pride at you, don't get upset. Don't get mad. Pity them. They don't get it. Love them. Jesus responded to them. He said, Looky, you guys go. I'm not going to go right now. It's not my time yet. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He said, But the world doesn't hate you, but the world hates me. Why does it hate me? Why did Jesus say it hated him? <laughs> say it again. He told them their deeds were evil. Do you like it when people tell you that your deeds are evil? It doesn't make it, it, it kind of engenders you to them, doesn't it? You know, dude, I'm going to say this one and somebody in here is going to get this. But anyways, dude, you're really prideful. At that moment, you could be really upset, right? It didn't bother me. I heard that. It was told right to me. You know, you're stinking prideful. You're right. You're stinking right. On this end of it, it's not a problem, is it? Because I want to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. But without Christ in my life, it doesn't play out too well for you to tell me I'm a sinner. Right? And so Jesus says, look, the world hates me. Because I'm only telling them the truth. Before you can be saved, you need to know that you are lost. Before you can be cleansed, you have to acknowledge the fact that you are dirty, filthy, unclean. 
It's a big transition when a kid goes from, I don't want to go into the tub to, I'm okay with getting a bath. Sometimes it lasts all the way to their teenagers or 20s. And for some of us guys, it may last over 50. Anyways, and so, but the reality is there's a point where before you're going to want to be cleansed, you got to know that you are needing it. Before you can be saved, you need to know that you're a sinner. So, hence with the kid last night again. When I got them to the point to make them realize that humans are different, they're made in the image and likeness of God, they have a spirit, and that they're going to live eternally, that there are actually two places you could go eternally. Because that's a big deal. You're going to live forever. Where do you want to spend it? Ultimately, that's what's going to get people saved, if you think about that. I mean, if there's, no, if there's no resurrection, if there's no life after death, then eat and drink and be merry. Because tomorrow you're going to what? You're going to die. But the reality is there is something different. There is something more that you're going to go, you're going to pursue. So, why does the world hate us? Because we're speaking the truth. They don't want to hear it because they want to live the way they want to live. Well, Jesus then talks about the season of his manifestation. He says, it's not my time yet. Okay? Um, he's talking about his time, the ultimate manifestation, and that is, we're going to see when we get to John 8, or John 12, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself, but in John 7, here at the end, I think it is here at the end, um, where he talks about, again, who he is, that God on the earth. And so, it's going to be that ultimate manifestation, then when he goes and he's going to die um, for them. And so he says, my time's not yet. Okay, yeah, John 7, verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Okay? Second confrontation happens, though, in Jerusalem. And this is the, 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 the big one that we have. And that is, think about it, again, from the perspective of a Jew. I mean, all your life, you've grown up and you're being taught Moses in the synagogue, right? And, and so you're being taught um, Messiah to come, okay? But... What is your viewpoint of Messiah? What's he going to look like? Satan? He's a king. What about him? What, what, about, what, what, a, what, a, what kind of a king is he? Oh, it all happened at one time. Say again? Divine? Mark? A warrior. Can I put those two things together? He's a divine warrior. Okay? Now... The divinity side, they kind of struggle with a little bit. They, they get it, that he's going to be this, and yet, not sure how that's going to play out, because that's actually the problem that's here, right? Because we got this human guy, but this guy's going to be divine. So, how does this divine guy come? Is he going to come down in the clouds? Ooh, maybe he is. See, think about it. Think about what they're thinking about. They're thinking, you know, are they thinking that this is going to be birth but we still have in the same part isaiah chapter 9 unto us a unto us a child is born a son is given right oh wait wait but now i got this child right and his name's going to be the wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace and yes before that in chapter 7 it was emmanuel god with us how cool is that and so how do i put all these things to what together you know, and now all of a sudden I got it all put together for me and it's not 
helping me. It's, I'm causing the struggle. So, when we come into this confrontation with the Jews in Jerusalem, we got the perplexity of the, cl- the clouds, the crowd, okay, where they are now questioning his authenticity. Can he really be the Messiah? And so we see here in verse 11, it says, Then the Jews sought him at the feast, and they said, Where is he? And it really doesn't say he in the Greek. It says that one. It's just kind of like a, you know, so there's just a, you know, where is this guy? Where is this one who's, in other words, the guy who's causing all these problems, where is he? I mean, he ought to be uh, here. Yeah, he ought to be here. Where is he, right? Then there's this, this debate going on, right? And so there was much complaining, verse 12, among the people concerning him. Some said, he's good. Why would they say he's good? He does good things. We haven't known it, right? But the others... Don't put him in a bad spot here. The others said, no, but he what? He deceives the people. Now, I want you to keep this in context because Jesus said in the end times, okay, in the end times, that there were going to be false teachers, false prophets who would come. And these false prophets were going to be able to do what? Signs and wonders. That if it was possible, they would deceive even the very... Elect. So these signs and wonders that are going to be done in our midst, assuming we're living in the end days, maybe we're not, but let's assume for a moment we are. Okay, because we need to be what? Ready. Always be ready. Kids club, ready? Okay, so always be ready, right? So if we're living in the end times, what can we expect to happen in our days? How, what kind of signs and wonders? Pretty impressive ones. Okay, in these individuals may not claim themselves to be Messiah, but Jesus said there would be many false anointed ones, false Christ. The Greek word Christ literally is Christos. It's just brought over, okay? Christos. What does it mean? It means anointed one. That's the word Messiah, Messiah, means anointed one. Isn't it kind of interesting how the word anointings popped up in the last 20 years? There's all these anointings and anointed ones. I had somebody once tell me something about being an anointed one. I said, ah, I have an aversion to being, I hope God anoints me. We're all anointed with the Holy Spirit, First John chapter 3, I think it is. But I got an aversion toward being referred to as a Christ, as an, an anointed one. Make sense? And so, but we got to be careful because this is going to go on. So, so I don't want to give these guys a bad name here, okay? Because there is a part of them that is very perplexed about who is this guy? Is he the real deal? They've had a lot of false messiahs who have led the the nation into battles against Rome and brought a lot of bad things. And so here we got this thaumatologist. I'm going to mess that word up. Thaumatologist. Anyways, this guy who's doing these great wonders that are among them. Have you ever seen some of these guys who do some of these uh, magician-type stuff? Um, There's one guy that has brought things through glass or whatever. What, they're just massive optical illusions, okay? But some things I kind of wonder whether they are demonic. That some of these guys are using powers that are, say that again? Not of God. Not of God. Exactly right. And, and, and I think we're being prepped for some of this stuff that's, that's going to be coming down in, in the days ahead. In and we got to ask ourselves. So I put myself back here. How would I know that he's the real deal? 
How would I know that this is true? And he's not just some wonder worker who's distracting me from God. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's what these guys are struggling with, okay? And so in John 7, 11 to 13, we see that. We see that there's this much complaining about him. Who can he be? But then we also see that they're struggling with his knowledge because now all of a sudden Jesus is teaching, right? But again, they knew him. They, they, or at least some did. They know where he grew up. And so he grew up in Nazareth as the son of a carpenter. He didn't grow up in the, the temple. or He didn't grow up in the um, palace. He didn't grow up being taught. He's not one of the top scribes. Think about it. Saul of Tarsus. He became who? Paul. Okay, so I don't want to talk about Paul right now. I want to talk about Saul of Tarsus. What do you know about Saul of Tarsus? He was educated. Say it again, somebody else. He was a, he was a Jew's Jew. But talk about the education for a moment. Good, he studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the top rabbis of the day. Okay, He was a Roman citizen who spoke many languages. Okay, Say again. He was a very smart individual. He was a theologian of theologians. Okay, If you were going to choose Messiah and, and, and bring him on, wouldn't he be the kind of Messiah you'd bring? Many Jews believe that. And they, they look to a lot of the rabbis as being the potential Messiah. It's kind of interesting when you go out there and you look around. Because they expect this to be one of the, okay, because this is a learned one. Jesus didn't come as the, the, the son of a king. He didn't come as the son of the priest. He didn't come as this learned one. He was just like me and you. This is really kind of cool. He was just like me and you. I know there's a big difference. He was God and I'm not. Okay? But he grew up just like me and you. He was a son of a steel worker. I know he's a son of a carpenter, but they didn't have steel plants back then. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I know, you can be sorry. He grew up as a, as a, as a ranch hand, okay? Does that make you feel better? Anyway. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, put yourself wherever in your context of where you are. He was just an ordinary guy. He grew up down the street. And now all of a sudden, this guy is teaching with wisdom and with authority and with power and with logic and understanding that's confounding everybody. Where does this guy get this knowledge from? Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because, let me answer that question. And so he begins now to talk about, where does he get his teaching, his doctrine? The word doctrine is literally the word for teaching. So he starts talking about his teaching. Where does he get his teaching from? While the foundation of his teaching, he says very clearly in verse 16, he says, Then Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. We saw this a couple chapters ago, chapter 5, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in manner. Jesus told us not to worry about what we're going to say in a day, because why? 
Because the Holy Spirit's going to give us utterance. Now, I do believe Jesus was taught, okay, every, every Jewish boy went through Hebrew school, okay? And so he probably had some learning, okay, that was in here. But do you understand why we're given this? Why, why are we given this? It's a Bible. I promise you it is a Bible. I'm not setting you up. So we can know God and we can know about God. Both of those are true, actually. Okay? We can know how God functions among people, but that I can always be ready to give an account to everyone who asks me a reason for the hope that's within me. That as I read this, as I study it, as I meditate upon it, the Holy Spirit brings it back. That was really a blessing to me when we sang Cheth this morning. Okay? All right. You're not on, I don't know, if the, I don't think the recordings can see you, okay? So, show of hands, how many of you remembered that? Cool, some of you did. Okay, good. When the music started playing, when the music started playing, did you instantly start in your brain go, Thou art my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep thy word. Isn't that exciting? I couldn't quote that to you. If you asked me to quote that portion of Psalm 119, I couldn't quote it. But I can sing it. Isn't that kind of cool? You, you know what I mean? So it is so neat for me when I'm out and about, all of a sudden I just start singing a song. And I start singing a praise song to God. Or I'm starting to sing his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I might keep thy righteous judgments. I see some of you mouthing it. Isn't that exciting? Okay. You just burst it out. It's kind of cold, right? And the Holy Spirit is able to do that, to be able to bring it out from you at all times. And, and all of a sudden, it's like the word is just there. It's so exciting, isn't it? I think so. And so I didn't have to go say to Gabriel, wait, stop. I got to go grab my Bible. <laughs> Give me a half an hour to prepare something. But to go and close the door behind me and be able to talk to Gabriel and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do what? Bring his truth and, and work it through me. Jesus is my example for that. I get it. It's so easy to say, well, but he's God. I mean, he wrote the book. He knows it. But he humbled himself, we're told in Philippians chapter 2. That he was in the very morphe, the very nature of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. And took upon himself the morphe of a servant, a bond servant. The nature, the very nature. And he came in the likeness of a man. And so he demonstrated what it was like for me to be able to walk on this earth. Jesus said, and we'll see this in a few weeks from now when we get to John 8, to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, or make you free. Whichever word you want to put in there is good. It's going to do this for you. And it's going to bubble out. It confounds people when all of a sudden you begin to proclaim God's word. And they look at you, and they ask you, have you been to seminary? No, that's exactly right. I got the Holy Spirit living in me, and it's better than any seminary professor there is. 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to seminary. But you get what I'm saying. It confounds people. And they come to a confrontation when they meet somebody. I always loved when I had the Corbin Home um, Improvement van. Because I'd come out and, it, and I'd be talking to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons at my door and, or in my, on my property and I'd come out in my jeans and my boots and everything else and they didn't know I was a pastor. The minute I was a pastor, it didn't, everything was gone. Because you're only, you're only teaching, saying that because you're a pastor. But when you're a normal person, do you get it? Okay? Then it's a totally different story. Okay? And so I want to encourage you all to know God's word, to study God's word, to hide it in your heart, that the Holy Spirit can bring it back in you. And you can confound people. Bring them a confrontation that they can't walk away from. I mean, these guys are puzzled. Who is this guy? Where does he get it? Jesus said, I get it from the Father. I only speak what the Father teaches me. How cool is that? But this is the big deal for me. If you get nothing else from this message, get this point right here. And this is the verification. John 7, verse 17 to 18. If anyone wills, remember this is our word will. We talk about Thelo and Boule and all that. This is our word for will. Okay. If anyone wills to do his will, Thelema, he shall know concerning the doctrine, the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, no, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, I don't want to spend time on the green part necessarily, but that's a true statement, right? If someone's only about themselves, they're seeking their own glory, okay? But I want you to focus on the red part. If anyone desires the desires of God, they'll know. If anyone wills the will of God, they'll know. Do you get it? Why don't they understand? Because they don't will it. So John 8, 31 and 32, I just read, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 43, though, says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Well, verse 47, then he goes on and says, he who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Bingo! Psalm 25, I love Psalm 25, probably one of my favorite psalms. Okay, verse 9, the humble he, Yahweh, guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Who does Yahweh teach? Who? Hmm, the humble. Who are the humble? Well, those who say they don't know. The ones who are willing to learn. The ones who aren't arrogant. The ones who already don't know the answer. The ones who aren't wise in their own eyes. The ones who are coming saying, God, teach me. So we see that in verse 12, who is the man that fears Yahweh? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Verse 14, the secret of Yahweh is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. You want to know the secrets of God? Humble yourself before God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Talk to people a lot of time. People say, I don't get it. I just don't. How ardently are you seeking it? What is your goal in life? What do you really want to know? What are you desiring to desire? 
Paul said, I gave up Saul of Tarsus. Paul said, I gave up Saul of Tarsus. You get what I'm saying? I gave up my past. I gave up that guy who was pursuing everything for himself. And I changed my focus. I changed my pursuit. I used to pursue the church in order to destroy them. But now I'm pursuing the one who called the church. I'm pursuing Jesus with all I am. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Do I really want that? Do you want to know him? Do you desire the desires of God? Do you will the will of God? Do you want the wantings of God? That's really where it all boils down. If you get nothing else from this, that's why the confrontations were there. Because they saw the truth, but they didn't want what was in the end. They weren't willing to humble themselves to learn the will of God. Jesus then accuses them in this regarding the healing of the lame man and says that they're seeking to kill him. And they say, no, no, we're not seeking to kill you. And he says, yeah, yeah, you are. He says, look, you guys are willing to work on the Sabbath. You're willing to, you're willing to circumcise on the Sabbath. But I didn't even touch this guy. Think about it. When Jesus healed the lame man, what did he say to him? I gave it away. He just spoke. He didn't touch him. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Yeah. But da, 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 he said, well, get, up, get up and take up your mat and walk. That's, all, that's how it happened. He didn't touch him. He didn't do anything. No chiropractic work. You know? Nothing. He spoke. Kind of reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1. You guys touch. You guys cut. You guys bring bleeding in order to fulfill the law. All I did was speak to a guy and made him well. And you're trying to kill me. Because I did it on the Sabbath. I brought the guy ultimate rest. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. And you guys can't get it. Because you're too keyed in to the teachings of man and not the will of God. If anybody wills to know the will of God, he will know that my teaching is not my own, but is from the Father. His summation then, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance. That's where we judge. We judge by the book all the time. So the cliche, you can't judge a book by its cover. But we do it all the time. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Matthew 7, we'll get to John 6 in a moment, but Matthew 7, Jesus says, Judge not lest ye be judged. And with what judgment you judge others, it shall be measured unto you, right? But he doesn't say then that you cannot judge because he says, first of all, he says that, but then he turns around and says, how can you, having a beam in your own eye, say to your, say to your brother, here, let me remove the what? Speck from your eye. First, remove the beam from your eye. Then you can see clearly to help your brother with his what? Speck. It doesn't mean that you won't see things and that what you see isn't really there. 
But what he says is don't judge him for it. Why? Because you have what? You got issues of your own. And so here, Jesus is talking about, again, that thing we talked about last week, and that is, where are you focusing? We're physically focused. We're earthly minded. And he says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the God the Father has set his seal on him. Stop looking at things like the world looks at them. Start looking at them the way God looks at them. So, in the end, who is Jesus to you? Considering the reaction of Jesus as brothers, I have to ask myself, and so by extension I ask you, are you an arrogant individual? Remember the word arrogant. Offensive display of superiority or self-importance. Overbearing pride. Haughtiness. Too many times that sums up Bob. Does it sum up you? Sadly, the question by extension is, does it sum up you with God? Because when you read something in his word and you decide that you know better, you really set yourself up against God. Considering the crowds, how do you deal with things that you don't understand in God's word? Is it the teachings you grew up with that are your priority? Or is it God's word? Again, not to pick on Catholicism, but for Catholicism, it's the word of the Pope, traditions of the church, and then the word of God. Again, not to pick on the Catholic church. Because I've been a pastor in independent Baptist Rome. And I promise you that in a lot of other denominational structures, it's the word of the Pope, traditions of the church, and then the word of God. Are you tracking what I'm saying? And so you need to decide who ultimately is the authority for all faith and practice. We can give it lip service, but then we can live it a different way. Are you desiring the desires of God? Do you will to know his will? Again, if you get nothing else, that's my point coming out of this. This is the thing that drives Bob. It's the battle behind the battle. Everything else is just the facade. But what do you really, really want inside of you? Because what you really, 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 really want. You get what I'm talking about? That's what you're really going to do. And we can say, I want that. But then we do a lot of other things because I really, 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 really don't want that. What are you willing to do then in order to find out God's will? Hmm. If you say that you really, 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 really want that, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to commit to spending more time in his word, in his presence? Are you willing to deny yourself? Jesus said anybody who wants to come after him needs to be willing to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say with Paul, I really want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. We know that it's true. We know that it's quick. We know that it's powerful. We know that it's sharper than a two-edged sword and that you have given it to us to teach us, to instruct us, to 
to divide us in the sunder between the soul and the spirit, between the bone and the marrow. Lord, you use your word as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. Help us to desire your desires. Help us to will to know your will. And help us then to be willing to commit whatever it takes for that to happen. To submit to your working in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.